0: We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in the Gospel according to John this morning. We come to chapter 3. And verse number 1, John chapter number 3 and verse number 1, we'll read through verse 21. I'll pause after uh, we get to verse 13, make a few remarks, and then then move forward. But in John chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell uh, whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do know, and testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if i tell you of heavenly things and no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the son of man which is in heaven now let me pause right there and just give you a a, a sort of a, a rundown of what is happening in these opening verses of chapter number 3 the bible tells us there was a man of the pharisees the pharisees were the religious leaders in uh Jerusalem and in Judah there was a man among the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus and Nicodemus was one who had observed the miracles of Jesus he said no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him he had observed the miracles of Christ he recognized that no mere mortal man could do these miracles and so at night when he wouldn't be seen he came to Jesus hoping to receive an explanation there were two things that uh, nicodemus and the pharisees and many in judah and many in galilee did not understand about jesus they did not understand who he was and they did not understand why he had come and so nicodemus goes to see jesus in verse number three As he begins to ask Jesus, who are you? Jesus answers in in a seemingly strange way. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's as if he didn't really answer the question. What Jesus was doing was getting to the heart of the matter in the life of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you're not going to get to heaven. Well, Nicodemus was perplexed by that response. And he asked, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus begins to explain to him that the birth that he is speaking of is not a physical birth, it is a spiritual birth. And Jesus says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee ye must be born again. He speaks of the work of the Spirit and the life of man in verse number 8. And Nicodemus again asks, how can these things be? Then Jesus has a question in verse 10. Art thou a master of Israel, a teacher? You're a teacher in Israel. And he says, and knowest not these things you don't understand. Jesus is confronting nicodemus with the fact that he does not truly understand who god is you know we live in a world where many do not understand who god is that's exactly where nicodemus was maybe because of his misconception and we know that when jesus came the jews were looking for a political deliverer who would emancipate them from roman oppression They had a misconception about who Jesus was and what it is that he would do. There was a lot of misinformation about Jesus. And sadly, there were those who misrepresented Jesus. And because of that, there was a great number who misunderstood him. The same is true in our generation. Many people today are misinformed about who God is and unfortunately many have misrepresented him and his word and as a result of that misinformation and that misrepresentation of God there are multitudes today who misunderstand Jesus so if we're going today to to gain a proper understanding of who the Lord is we're going to have to allow him to speak for himself and so as we approach his word today I'm asking God to help all of us to listen carefully and to hear his voice as he speaks. I want you to help me now. Let's conclude our reading beginning in verse 14. We'll read through verse 21. Here's how Jesus clarifies the confusion. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that as we come into your presence, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would speak to us very clearly through your word. That you would clarify our confusion of who you are and what it is that you have come to do and also lord that you would help us as your people that we would understand that we're living in a world of confusion today and help us that we would accept our responsibility to take the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world to give hope to those who so desperately need it we pray this in jesus name amen I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the misunderstood Messiah. The misunderstood Messiah. And as we look at this text, I'm praying that God will very clearly speak to us and that we will hear His voice and that we will respond in obedience to Him. There are three truths about God that our Lord Jesus speaks of here, of Himself, and I hope you'll write them down and follow along with me. The first truth is this, we read it in verse 16, for God so loved the world. The first truth I'd like for you to write down this morning is God loved, God loved. You see the teachings of the proud and arrogant Pharisees painted a picture of God that was distorted. They, they painted a picture of an angry, distant deity who was sitting on ready, if you would, to pour out his wrath on any who would break his commandment. And by the way, his commandments weren't enough for the Pharisees. They added their own. They added many, many of their own traditions and they added to the commandments of God. They were known for adding rules and restrictions to make the law of God more burdensome for the people. And there are many who do the same today. They misrepresent the Lord. There are also those who run to the opposite extreme of the Pharisees. They don't add to the word of God, they diminish from it. And how do they do so? By disregarding what God has said in his word. They do so because they find God's Word distasteful, old-fashioned, and inconvenient. And like the Pharisees, what are they painting? They're painting a false image of who God is. We live in a generation that has a very distorted view of God. And as the Lord Jesus speaks here, as He begins to portray who He is, we note that he begins with the subject of love. God loved. Now I'd like for you to go with me into the book of First John, chapter number four. First John chapter number four. We'll begin reading in verse number seven. And the apostle John is writing to the church, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And John says in first John four and verse seven, Beloved, let us love one another. God's people ought to love one another. That ought to be true of the church of Jesus Christ, that we love one another. Then he says this, for love is of God. The very ability to love is an ability that we possess as a result of who God is. For love is of God. He is the source of love. He is the example of love. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Note this, please. For God is love. The very essence of God is love. There is no love apart from God. God made man in His image. God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul and we received the ability from God to think, to interact, to communicate, to express our emotions, and to express the greatest of all. The one thing that abides forever, the greatest of these, is charity. It's love. And we find that our God is a God of love. John goes on to say in 1 John 4, verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. God demonstrated His love by sending His Son to give us life. Verse 10, herein is love. This is the very essence of love. Not that we love God, it didn't start with us, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To make the payment for our sin to die in our place in john chapter 15 in verse number 13 jesus speaks of the nature of his love and he says this in john 15 13 greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends jesus said i have come to give my life for my friends i have come to die for you There's no greater love than that, that a man would set aside his own life in order that we might live. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible portrays us in a different light. As Jesus referred to us as friends, we find that Paul refers to the condition of this world, to all of humanity, a little differently. Romans 5 verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place. He said, I'm laying down my life for my friends. That we were ungodly and we were sinners. Jesus said God so loved the world. A world of ungodly sinners in rebellion against a holy God. A world that God created. That He spoke into existence a humanity that He formed of the dust of the ground and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and made them a living soul, a humanity that rebelled against Him, a world not only that He created, but a world that was corrupted by sin. When Adam and Eve chose not to obey God, when they deposed Him as their king and made themselves king by choosing to rebel against Him, not knowing that when they deposed him as king, they became the subjects of another kingdom because not only was this world created by God and corrupted by sin, but it was captured by Satan. It was Satan who beguiled Eve in the garden. It was man to whom God gave dominion over the earth, but when man sinned and fell to Satan's temptation, Satan took the dominion of this world. And there are many today who live under the oppression of the devil, lost without God and without hope, blinded, deceived. That's the condition of our world. And it's a world condemned to perish. Jesus Christ loved the world. God loved the world and gave himself for it because he was not willing that any should perish. The Bible tells us that God takes no destruction in the pleasure of the wicked. He loves us in spite of our sin. And as Paul portrayed us, us all of us, as sinners and ungodly, yet Jesus said, I'm laying down my life for my friends. What do we learn from those two statements? We learn this, that Christ loved his foes in order to make them his friends he loved all of us he didn't wait for us to become lovely he didn't wait for us to become attractive spiritually speaking he loved us though we were in rebellion against him that's who god is he's a god of love the bible says in first john 4 19 we love him because he first loved us Let me tell you that God initiated this love toward us. We didn't initiate it. But since that he has initiated it, you and I have the opportunity to respond to it. And how will we respond? By the way, how did he love us? We'll look at the language of the scripture in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world you could write volumes about the love of god in fact there's a wonderful song about the love of god that speaks in beautiful vivid language that if if the skies became the scroll you couldn't you couldn't with a, 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 a quill or a pen write and describe aptly the magnitude and the magnificence of god's love the, the world could not hold the volumes that would begin to declare unto us the magnitude of God's love. So the English language just has one word, two letters that can describe it for us. He so loved. How much does God love you? He so loves you. Who does he love? The world. Are you a part of the world? You're here today. I want to say to you that God loves you. He so loves you. He so loves you that, number two, He gave. He gave. God gave. What did He give? He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know that the greatest lover of all is God and the greatest giver of all is God. and we are the beneficiaries of his benevolent gifts i want you to look with me in the book of romans chapter number 5 romans chapter number 5 and in the book of romans paul is laying out the case laying out the case rather uh, as as almost as a prosecuting attorney he's laying out the case that all of us all of humanity jews gentiles all of us have one major problem one common problem we're all sinners all of us we're all sinners for all of sinning come short of the glory of god he speaks then of how sinners are to be made righteous and just in the sight of god and in romans chapter 5 he explains this Beginning in verse 12, Wherefore is by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because we are the descendants of Adam, we are all sinners. We inherit the sin nature. Bring that beautiful baby home. Look at that beautiful baby, that beautiful perfect child. And you wait long enough, and let me tell you what that beautiful perfect child will do. He'll say no, she will disobey you, she will be unkind, he will say mean things, they will take things that do not belong to them, words will begin to come out of their mouths that just shock you. You don't have to teach them to sin. It's in them. They're sinners. But yet, in spite of our sin, God loves us. And He offers to us a gift. Look at verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, again, Adam, many be dead, sin brings death, the wages of sin is death, much more the grace of God, and by the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, So if death comes to us all, if sin comes to us all by one man, Adam, so too this gift of eternal life and grace and righteousness and justification is imparted to us through the obedience of one, the sacrifice of one, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. This gift overrides our sinfulness. What a glorious gift this is. Verse 17: For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Here's another wonderful thing about the gift: I get eternal life. That means I'm not going to die. Certainly, my body will end away, it'll wear away, I will close my eyes in death. But I will wake up the next moment in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is to live with Him eternally. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Uh, My cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, what a gift this is, a gift of grace, a a gift of love, a gift of mercy, a gift of righteousness, making the guilty just, giving life to those who are dead. Verse 18, Romans 5, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift. Hey, that's the best part of it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you can receive it. It's free. Freely given to all who will receive it. What a glorious gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin. That's what we deserve, our wages. We work 40 hours a week. We get a paycheck. Here's your wage. Here's your earning. Here's your income. The wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, eternal death in an awful place that God created for the devil and his angels. Not a place he made for man. For God has no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. But yet, what we deserve is death. What we get is death. But the gift of God, because he loves us. You see, if it's a true gift, you don't earn it. I don't give my children gifts based on what they do to earn it. I give them gifts because I love them. If it's not, if it's given based on what they do, that's more of a reward. That's more of a payment. But if it's a gift, it's just based on my love for them. So God has given us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what we find out about God. He didn't come to make a demand of us. He came to meet the demands of his father. The demands of the law. And make the payment for our sin. He didn't come to tell us what we needed to do to get to heaven. He came to do what you and I could not do. In order that he might bring us to heaven. He didn't come to take our possessions from us. He came to give us what we did not possess. Eternal life. He suffered our death. So that we could receive his life. Ephesians 2. 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. God gave. What do you do when somebody presents you a gift? Well, if you want to enjoy it, you have to accept it. God has offered this gift to all, The question is, have you received it? Well, the third thing that Jesus spoke of here to clarify the confusion, to remove the misunderstanding, not only did he say that God loved and that God gave, but he said God sent. Would you look with me in verse 17? For God sent not his son, into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son, rather that the world through him might be saved. I was a student at the University of Tennessee; I was walking to class one day, and there was a street preacher out on on the sidewalk. I didn't really realize at the time why the crowd had formed, but as I drew closer, I recognized why the crowd had formed, and that there was a group outside the university center. And they were they were jeering at this street preacher, and and uh, one guy in particular that was near me, he said, "I don't want any part of your turn or burn religion." And I thought to myself, "Is that your view of God? That He just come to 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 say to you, you know, check the box, and if you don't check the box, you're off off to hell with you? Is that your view of God?" well that's not the biblical view of god you see what people fail to understand is we were already on our way to hell we're already condemned jesus did not come then to condemn us he came to save the condemned if a fireman knocks on your door at 3 a.m in the morning your house is ablaze and you were asleep and didn't know it would you come to the door and say look I'm not going to just do what you tell me so my house doesn't burn down. The fireman's going to say, wait a minute, sir. What you don't realize is your house is already on fire. Oh, no, 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 I'm going back to bed. You see, that's the way so many respond to God. But God in love gave his son and then he sent him to our door to get our attention to say to us you are lost and condemned and on your way to hell but i love you and i'm dying on the cross for your sin will you come to me and be saved you see god didn't simply set up a shop put a sign out on the street and say if you're interested come and find me no no he sent his son to us because we couldn't find him Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, verse 10 and 11, As it is, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, But the natural man, that is the the natural mind of man in, in his humanity, in his lost condition, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God by His Spirit has to speak to us. God by His Spirit is speaking to us through His Word today. And what is He saying? I want to clarify the misunderstanding. I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you that I gave my Son for you. I want to tell you that I sent Him to rescue you from an eternity apart from me you see all those sinners do not seek god god seeks sinners he didn't leave us alone in the dark sin cursed world to figure this thing out for ourselves he sent his son to find us so that he might save us he didn't come to condemn us we were already condemned look at verse 18 of john 3 he that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, what separates the believe, or the, the Christian rather, from the non-Christian is just one thing. It's belief. We're all sinners. <laughs> Some of us may have a higher opinion of ourselves than we ought to have. But the truth of the matter is we are all guilty sinners before God. We all have that fallen nature within us. What sets us apart from, not, from those who don't know the Lord, from those who, uh, who are lost today in their sin, is that we have heard the message of the gospel and we have responded to the message of the gospel. We have been, as Jesus described to Nicodemus, born again, a spiritual birth has transformed us. That's the only thing that separates us from a lost and dying world. So Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. He he came to save them. He came to justify the guilty. He came to set the captives free. He came to give us a home in heaven and deliver us from an eternity in hell. Now I have one final place I'd like for you to look with me this morning, and that is in the Gospel according to Luke. Would you turn there with me? Luke chapter number 19 jesus was going to a city there was a man who found out that jesus was coming and the man's name was zacchaeus we used to sing about him in sunday school i'll spare you the song maybe give you the lyrics zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he you remember that song he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the lord he could not see but what we don't know in the song is that zacchaeus was the most despised man in Galilee. He was hated by his own people. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. And the way he made his living was by charging exorbitant rates and pocketing what the Romans, above rather, what the Romans charged. And Zacchaeus was the He was at the top. He was the CEO of the tax-collecting business. He was viewed as a traitor, as a thief, the most reviled sinner in his city. But Jesus went to his house. Now, let's read Luke 19. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before, climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. I come to seek you. What an amazing thing. Verse 6, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the religious leaders. That's the religious crowd. All right? That's the the Jews. When, When they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be guests with a man that is a sinner. What they didn't recognize is that they were too. They all were. So why would Jesus, Jesus choose the chief of the sinners? To make an example to all. Well, if that he would save Zacchaeus, he'd save any of us. And that's what Paul says. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He persecuted the church. And he said, the Lord saved me as an example for others. If he'll save me, he'll save you. That's the message. Notice again, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, let's not be confused. Zacchaeus didn't get saved because he gave things away. He gave things away because he got saved. Because he met Jesus. Because he was delivered from his sin. Then he said, I've got all this stuff by really abusing my power, mistreating people. I'm giving it away because I want to be right with God. And then the Lord says in verse 10, the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why God sent him to a sinner like Zacchaeus and to a sinner like me and to a sinner like you. And to sinners who populate the city of Hickory and the nation uh, that we live in and the world in which we live, who, yet, who are yet to hear uh, the message of Christ. You see, during his earthly life, the Lord came to an immoral woman, a Samaritan woman, who was hated by her own people. Aches. He didn't come to sit on a throne. He came to die on a cross. He didn't come to receive the praise of men, but rather to suffer the shame and rejection of humanity. He exchanged a crown of gold for a crown of thorns. He willingly took upon him all our sin, our shame, and our guilt in order to make us righteous. He sent him to suffer our deaths and our hell. Nicodemus, do you want to know who I am? I will tell you. I'm the God God. Who loves. I'm the God who gives. I'm the God who seeks. Do you know him? Are you willing today to say, I'm going to lay aside my my misconceptions? Maybe you've been misinformed. Perhaps you've misinterpreted him and his words maybe there are those who have misrepresented him do you know that christians often misrepresent jesus with their attitude with their harshness but in spite of all that maybe today you've heard his voice and he has revealed to you who he is are you willing to come to him are you willing to acknowledge him that He is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for you because He loves you, that He gave His life for you, and that He is seeking you at this moment? Would you come to Him? Would you receive that gift? Would you confess that He is the Son of God who died on the cross, who was buried and rose again the third day? Would you confess your need of a Savior and your sinfulness? If you will, I have good news for you. Jesus Christ will save you for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was a man who came to Paul one night. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. Is it that simple? Absolutely. It's that simple. So respond to him today. Christian, let me ask you a question. Have you forgotten that he's the God of love? That he's the God who gives? and that he's the God who sins. You're not under condemnation. You've been freed from that. Thank him for it. Love him because he first loved you. Love him with all your heart. And then Jesus said to his disciples, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. What is our job? To go in the world, to our place of employment, to our place of business, to our place where we shop, the place of commerce, our social arena, our neighborhood, our community, and just be a true representative of who our Savior is and tell people about it. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.